Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Cockill, Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing, is it ever a good idea to rewrite history? And due to the lockdown, unusually we're recording this remotely. Nick, what do you reckon about this? Well, we're we're recording this in the wake of a controversy about the uh, Boris Johnson's advisor, Dominic Cummings, Mm. who um, has been controversial for uh, the particular reason that he went um, during the lockdown, went went, uh, up to Durham um, uh, when he should have been staying at home, went to Barnard Castle, which is a sort of tourist attraction um, when he should have been staying at home, uh, has some very superficially very flimsy excuses for having done all this. Um, and of course, that's particularly controversial because he was a part of an administration who were telling everyone else that they must stay at home and can't see their relatives, etc. We don't care about any of that. The thing we're talking about today is the fact that during this particular time, Mm. He apparently edited a blog post he'd made last year <laughs> to insert a mention of coronavirus. Yeah. Um, really, you must assume to make him to make it look like he was he had sort of some special foresight. Yeah. Now we know that he's very into sort of forecasting and that kind of thing. So uh, what it looks like, and I'm certainly not saying this is the case, but what it looks like is that he's tried to make it look like he was um, particularly far sighted about coronavirus by 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 look editing his past blog post to make it look like he was writing about it when he wasn't yeah. that yeah. uh was picked up in as you know because for two reasons firstly that the past copies of his blog that are kept at it by the wayback machine which is the internet archive uh don't have that in it and secondly that his sites uh his his website's um uh sitemap information uh, records that that post was edited this this year, so on the fourteenth of April. Mm. So he's been rumbled at, mm. in doing this. Um, and the question I think we want to talk about is uh, this whole question of sort of editing history. Is it is it harder now? Is it easier now? Is it harder now? Is it something that you know we should just be okay with people editing past documents if they can? Um, you know. And uh, it, what are there hopes for in the future for potentially having technological solutions to make it harder and to make it easier to to rumble people? Or, in fact, you know, should we just be happy about it and just say, well, everyone does it? Who cares? I think um, I forget the name of the, the Canadian chap we had on talking about. He was really keen on the Byzantines. Um, Christian Gustafsson. Yeah. Of the podcast, yeah, yeah. I see. I, I seem to remember he t- we talked about this a little bit with him as well. Um, because I suspect this sort of stuff, you know, in the nature of history, it's always been rewritten in a sense. Um, but now there's different ways of doing it and finding out that it's been rewritten. Um, Chris or Peter, um, Nick posed a question there with or some questions there. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think you know, um, obviously documentation and the, the historical record has, has always been used to sort of um, uh, counteract, you know, historical revisionism or, or denial. Uh, so, you you know, you look at things like the, um, well, Holocaust denial itself or the, the, the Nanking uh, massacre by, you know, Japanese forces. 
um, and other, you know, uh, the um, Armenian genocide. Uh, you know, what what ends up sort of um, uh, meaning that those uh, kind of exercises in historical denial are very difficult is the sheer weight of the the historical record and most of that exists in documentation you know it's it's rosters of people being checked into places it's um you know uh, uh train activities or um you know other uh, other documentation that's been written so i think we have it, it you know it is um it is difficult to completely change things that are that are mass events that were witnessed by by you know thousands or millions of people um and where you've um <clears throat> where you've you've got large amounts of physical documentation which is difficult in itself to to destroy right just by pure volume you know i mean obviously they tried burning it and so on but um uh, but i think where there's where we're now moving into territory uh where a digital record creates something valuable is for things which were only witnessed by a few people and for which there wasn't much uh, um, documentation, which people can quite easily sweep under the carpet and, and and destroy, which I think is much much more difficult to do now with you know people's social media posts from five years ago or something being dragged dragged up, uh, you know when they're appointed to a prominent position. Yeah, and 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 when particularly when people in power make predictions or assertions or promises, um, they need to be held to account. So. It's it's incredible. So I think the internet has given us an amazing tool for this, but I think, but I, but I worry about sort of how sort of fragile it actually is because the the fact that Dominic Cummings' his blog was the edit was discovered was only by chance that it was one of the blogs that happens to be archived on the um, Wayback Machine, and that's not a unit. That's not a universal. Uh, you can't take that as given for everything. Um, it's just by luck that it was one of the things. That yeah, it's a there. tiny percentage of things are actually archived on the internet. Yeah, um, which and, is not and, something that people think about or worry about enough. Uh, and and it wouldn't and it wouldn't um, take much more sophistication uh, on Mr. Cummings's part to cover his tracks. Um, so it'd be quite easy to 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 delete from record something that you had previously published or or change it. Much harder than it was um, say thirty years ago when. Uh, such uh, like opinion, opinion pieces like that would have been published in print or in or in a paper, for example, and then copies would, would be distributed and held in libraries and other uh, other sort of institutions like that. Um, so it's 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 on one hand it makes it very easy. So fairly unsophisticated analysis can reveal an amazing amount about things, but only if you're lucky that there's some record of it um, somewhere. So I think I think there is I think there is a case and I think there is a market for um, something like the Wayback Machine that you elect to put your to to put your publications in to be part of an immutable record um, for 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 forever or for some period of time um, as part of your self declaration a stamp of what you believe to be true at that time because um, otherwise. It's a bit of a sort of free for all. You can't rely on blog posts and articles on on the internet, and in the same way that you would the microfilms at the at a, at a library of all the previous papers. Yeah. So I think, and I think people have the wrong mental model about the internet and the information on it. We are inclined to think of the internet as a as as a 
sort of as though we each have our own personal library which contains every everything ever written at our fingertips but a document on the internet typically peter may correct me on this but typically exists in a server as a document that you retrieve when you when you're with your browser when you want to look at it so it's actually much more like there's now one copy of everything on the internet and we can all look at it and and, and if you think of it that way uh, i think you you know you're inclined correctly to realize how fragile that situation is that actually the in things on the internet can be deleted so easily mm. um and and that you know that that is i think something people don't spend anything like as much time worrying about and it and so you know people are aware of the existence of the wayback machine unfortunately i think now people are going to be more aware of it and and the the if you want to get rid of your things from the wayback machine it is dead easy you basically change your robots text file on your on your website to block to block the internet archive which you can do very easily you draft a takedown notice um and and you then prove that you own that domain um you then send them an email and they remove it from um from from the wayback machine in a matter of days hey presto whatever that was is now gone forever right no and it's not in anyone's power to stop people doing that hmm. um so so i think we've you know uh, so i was looking back through the history of books there's two things really which may, which are you know affect how easy it is to change um to change uh uh you know things that have been written in the past and they're, they're sort of the numbers of copies you know the the numbers of 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 copies of these things out there so how how easy is it to to how spread around is this information and secondly um how easy is is it to change and i think you know in the distant past in the sort of library of alexandra alexandria days uh it was easy to change history because there were so few copies of things i mean i think i think looking at um some data that i've, that I've found in the in the seven 700s there was something like 100 books produced physical books i'm not talking about editions we're talking about actual physical books something like 100 books per year produced in the whole of europe um in the in the in the dark ages right and then by the time you're up to the 13th century and obviously well into the, the sort of days of the printing press uh, beyond that it's going up to the thousands per year twenty thousand per year until we you know we get to the um uh get to get to a, a billion books you know something like 10 million books per year being produced by the 1800s so so it's getting harder and harder to change history throughout that whole span of time you could do it in the roman days you could do it in the dark ages and then it's harder and harder and harder until now. Suddenly, it's bloody dead easy again to change the past because uh, because because there's like one copy um, of of most documents, and all you've got to do is go in and edit it. Nice, yeah. nice roundup. Nice sort of yeah, I like that sort of overview. Uh, Chris, yeah, well, I think there's there's also something at play, which is um, the the sort of um, the trust in the written record as well that is that is being eroded so so the fact you know facts may exist but those facts are called into question just based on um or, or the record of the facts may exist called into question just based on the motivation of the organization producing those facts or or, or whatever so this is the whole kind of fake news um uh, defense really which is yes you know you might have a uh, recording of uh, a particular thing but but because we distrust 
you and, and your political motivations. We're just going to dismiss evidence. So I think there's also a dangerous trend towards, you know, even even if you couldn't change the written record, the written record itself becomes um, not believed by you know a, a large group of of, uh, of the public. Yeah, and I I I I, I, I a thought occurred to me that the this that the we've sort of allowed this sort of thing to happen because more information over the certainly over the last. Uh, 20, 30, 40 years, just the, the amount of information has exploded, uh, the availability of information, the stuff, uh, how much you're bombarded with on a daily basis. And so statements that historically would have been quite important, so statements made, like the equivalent of a Dominic Cummings' blog would have been a speech that he would have given at uh, some big public event. Um, that would have been transcribed and recorded in papers, probably. Um, uh, so, uh, and because it was because the volumes of information were much lower, it would have been more important in, in terms of just its informational value. Um, but because there's so much of it now, public statements given by even senior people, the president of the United States, um, are treated much more flippantly, and we don't hold them to account so much. So Trump is constantly in trouble for. Uh, pretending to have meant something else in the past when he said something or uh, not flagrantly denying he ever said something, but trying to, by, by trying to twist what he had said previously to mean something else. Um, so that but we let them get away with this. Um, I, I would like to see a, a, a somewhere in, in order for you to take anyone seriously on the internet, their blog or their speeches or, or their YouTube channel for them to elect to have all of their, stuff immutable you know immortalized in some sort of record and if they haven't got that badge then then they they're obviously not willing to stand by what they have said um as a sorry, sort of Pete, as a sort of badge of uh, authenticity sorry peter I, I slightly missed it there can what what cause i think it's a really nice point but what what are you saying that makes us less or oh, oh, sorry what makes us more forgiving of these well, sort I, of I, statements and the, i think that i think they're just i, I think the 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 trend to so much more information being out there, each piece of information becomes less important. So there's inflation. Uh, yeah, or is treated yeah. as being less important. So okay. they, they, you, 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 you're more willing to forgive inaccuracies or things that just don't, don't, um, don't make sense or don't fit with your worldview. You're just more willing to sort of ignore them or let them pass by rather than getting exorcised by them. So yeah, it's a bit I, like we don't mind our celebrities not being Frank Sinatra anymore. We just get that they're lower quality. And it's well, the same I, I, see, I, I wonder if, if, I mean, whether or not the level of scrutiny that we used to apply in the past when there was a low volume uh, and the, you know, a low volume of sort of public record and it could be scrutinized, whether that is a bit demanding, um, you know, to, to, to the idea that we're always going to have been right in the past. And if we said something and changed our minds, whether we should be held to account for that and which reminds me of this debate about, you know, which way it's going to go. And I think the jury's still out, but which way it's going to go about, about, um, you know, social media catching up with us. Uh, because on one hand, you know, we have a situation where I think we're still, we, we're, we're still pretty judgmental about, about things people have done on social media. You know, someone who got a photo of them getting drunk or doing something silly at a party. Um, it's still, still, considered a dangerous thing to have whether or not in the future we might just be much more forgiving and say well we all make mistakes whatever mm. um and forget about it <clears throat> or whether or whether we we go the other way and simply stop producing 
you know so whether whether we just stop engaging with social media because we're scared of what might happen in the future if we if we say things and i i don't know i feel like there's there, there are two scenarios there you know we, we either do try and sort of you know make it much harder to get away with um dominic cummings style uh you know fiddling with the past record in which case there'll be less of that past record because people will be much more reluctant to for example publish blog posts um you know or we uh or we, or we just get very lax and say, well, yeah, fair enough. You know, Trump's doing, saying one thing one week and another thing the next week. And, you know, that's just what he's like. Mm. Um, where, where do we go from here? About sort of three quarters of the way through? Well, I, I think I think the fundamental question is whether whether there is something sort of inherently sinister about trying to change the past record. Because, um, you know, if, if you look at generally organizations regimes systems that are associated with trying to change the record explicitly you know you look at things like book burnings for example is generally not good people trying to trying to do that um and i'm i'm sort of thinking of um you know i'm trying to think of examples where where there is a positive aspect to being able to change the past record of things and and I really can't. I really can't think of one. It feels like even even if it's even if it has you know a, a sort of um, a negative effect. You know, like it causes lack of trust in an institution that we particularly need to trust at that time, or whatever it might be. It still feels like there's never really a good reason to change the historical record. Yeah, um, if you're if you're if you are motivated as a leadership of a country to behave in a way that resembles something that George Orwell wrote about is probably <laughs> a bad idea. I mean, it's a kind of good rule of thumb. It's not yeah. meant to be a how-to guide. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, I, there's, one, there's one example where, uh, that, that I kind of um, came across, which was quite, quite interesting, which was um, John Flamsteed, the, the, the royal astronomer and contemporary of Isaac Newton, um, who had a massive falling out with Isaac Newton, totally... Uh, um, got a massive hissy fit with him and they had a lifelong feud. Uh, and he basically, um, you know, was publishing lots of um, observations of, of planetary and sort of um, stellar, act you know, stellar activity and so on and, and publishing all of this data. And he was very, very methodical about, um, about publishing it. He wanted to double and triple check it and he wouldn't hand it over to, to uh, Newton and uh, uh, Halley um, uh, who wanted it to support their theories and so on. So Newton basically forced him, he went to Prince George and forced him to hand over this, this data before it's properly checked and published it in some of, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, had, had it published effectively. And so Flamsteed went out and bought as many copies as he could find of his own work and burnt, burnt them, um, you know, outside the Royal Observatory. Uh, but the point is, his motivation there was, I... I I didn't. I didn't want to publish something inaccurate. This is this is wrong information. I want to rescind it and and publish the correct version. And th there, I suppose, you know, there there is a, a, an argument. But I would still say what you do there is is you publish an addendum so people can see the original record and subsequently that you've changed your mind. That's all people are asking for. Uh, you know that that you you can see somebody has reformed or improved their information or changed their mind, but. Uh, getting rid of that record of what they previously thought is probably not the right thing to do. Yeah. No, there are, I know there's arguments as well about the, uh, 
the results of Nazi experiments, whether or not they should be destroyed, because if they were used, it would give some, you know, because obviously there's quite a lot of actually potentially useful medical data there. Um, but if it were used, it would sort of go, give some kind of seal of approval to the Nazis having done it. I mean, that's, that's very edge cases. I mean, I think the, the the key question here, which Chris is talking about, and, th and this uh, it really comes the same. It's a similar situation as with with Cummings is who owns information about themselves? Who owns the, the information that you've produced? You know, um, with, with so. <clears throat> with this Flamsteed situation, presumably, you know, he would have taken the view that this is my information and other yeah. people do stuff with it. Well, you know, maybe Dominic Cummings, fair enough. He's like, well, it's my blog. I can change, I can change previous entries. It doesn't become owned by other people. Now we can make a judgment about his deceptiveness, mm. but whether or not, you know, he, did he have the right to do it? It's hard to say that he didn't. Um, yeah. as well within his right to do it and as yeah. he is well within his right to exercise the the deletion from the wayback machine the assumption yeah. assumption though within the press that's covering this is that he did it for for insidious reasons mm -hmm. um that he wanted to for 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 gain personal gain yeah. um but he's, but yeah, there's no, no no reason why not to. Yeah, and of course, so of course, I mean, the, the, there's one thing I'm I've always been a bit uncomfortable about is the um, the right to be forgotten, which uh, I think the EU passed um, what was it, five six years ago or something, where you know if there is an article on the in the on the internet which mentions you, you have the right to have it removed from Google search results. Yeah. Not, it, it underpins GDPR. So you yeah, know, that's, exactly. Yeah. Now, um, you know, it doesn't get rid of the uh, pages. And in fact, there are pages which you can find on the internet, which themselves link to uh, news articles, which have been removed. Now you don't know, you don't find out why they've been removed. All you know is that they've been removed and it is therefore a fun way to spend a couple of hours is reading through some of these. So I was having a look at some of these right to be forgotten articles and they're quite fascinating. I won't, I won't actually name the names of these people, but there was a court case where someone had um, taken their neighbor to court he was playing football with his son, this gentleman in Kensington, and his neighbour, she took him to court and accused him of having turned his own garden into a recreation ground and thereby breaching local bylaws. And she, the claim was dismissed, but one can only imagine that that woman was sufficiently embarrassed by how stupid she'd been to, to, to have it removed. And there's also, there was like an illegal pyramid scheme with 11, 11 women in it. Uh, you don't know which one of them asked for this article to be removed, but they're all named. And then there's some really weird things, like there's a, a summary of the Leicester Under-10s Football League, which has been removed in the right to to be forgotten. But, you know, I... I, I big stuff, big stories. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so um, anyway, obviously, so I mean, the things that we discussed, you can, you, the internet is very easy to delete things from. Um, you know, it's it's editing the part is one thing. I mean, if, if it would have been a lot harder, potentially, if Dominic Cummings had just deleted the post or, uh, you know, or uh, erased his blog, there would be no record whatsoever. He could have said what he liked about it. Um, you know, I, uh, the, the so the question is, do if we wanted to change now, Peter, you've talked about immutability. Is there such a thing? I mean, what? how can it exist? How can you have an immutable website? Um, I'm going to say that question is rhetorical. No, it's um, not. Well, well, okay. If it's not rhetorical, we kind of need to sort of. All right. 
draw things to a conclusion. All right, we'll think about that. How can we? How can we have immutability? Yeah, is that? Do you want to say just Yeah, I mean, there are there are technologies which uh, are designed to provide exactly that. So the technologies that underpin uh, Bitcoin, for example, provide you uh, an immutable record of all transactions that have occurred, um, and that is crucial for the that currency system to work. Uh, and similar things, so the similar similar approaches are used for um, digital uh, signatures on on. Uh, contracts as well as uh, um, what they call distributed apps. So things that trace the validity or quality of something through the manufacture chain or the transport chain. They all rely on some kind of immutable record. And we have digital technologies which can provide that to an extremely high degree. But it still is a degree. I mean, it's like a, presumably it's it's really an advanced form of making thousands of copies of something and giving 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 them to a bunch of different individuals. You know, it'd be very costly to go around and change them all. It's, but it was more than just a distribution. It's the fact that if you try to amend something, you not only have to amend everything, but by doing so, it instantly alerts everybody that it's happened. Mm. So it's it's more than it's it's better in many ways than having multiple copies of a newspaper in hundreds of libraries across the country, because you could still go to all of those libraries and you could still replace the paper and be, do so undetected. But these right. systems will alert everyone that something has gone wrong. So let, let's finish this off. Let's sort of bring it back. Let's make it personal. Um, is there anything cringeworthy we've done that's on public record that we would like to erase? Um, well, I guess, I guess we could be a bit softer and say, "Is there anything that we haven't done? We wish we, we wish we had put on public record." A bit like, a bit like Dominic Cummings tried to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyone? That's, that's a really potentially incriminating one. There was a there was a photo of me when I was at university, and I had, I was a bit overweight. Um, that has mentally scarred me ever since I saw it. But it, it, I don't control that image because it was on somebody else's feed. Um, but yeah, it was. A, we, I think we were on the beach and. I was I was unaware I was being photographed. So I wasn't sucking anything in, and I just looked bloody terrible for an early twenty-year-old. <laughs> I I actually had a website um, about uh, this was about two thousand and two. I made a website with Dreamweaver, and it was about me, and it had it had various uh, sort of things on there, like projects that I was working on, and little bits of biographical stuff. And it was staggeringly pretentious. Um, and <laughs> no, uh, yeah, not. and and um, now for some reason, the Wayback the Wayback Machine never thought fit to archive this website. Oh, no. um, but that is thank. I mean, thank God, because uh, yeah, <laughs> I would. It would be so cringy if that was still out there. If my if if that was out there and my kids found it, I don't know. I'd have to leave home. Yeah, yeah, uh, Chris. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm particularly thankful we didn't have um, social media when I was uh, younger, because I think so. I, I you know, I, I think I've alluded previously to the fact that I wasn't a terribly, uh, a terribly positive uh, um, character at, uh, at school, and I think I could have been one of these people who would have been haunted by that that record throughout their life. But the thing, uh, the sort of single piece of information which I think. Um, uh, it, it doesn't actually relate to me. It relates to a f friend of mine who we convinced to. Um, he had a sort of. Uh, um, he he had a, a kind of liaison with a uh, with a when, when he was a student with um, with a woman, and um, he 
you know, it was obvious this thing was, um, you know, a kind of one-off event, but he, he became a bit smitten and we managed to convince him out of nothing other than sort of, um, kind of sadism really to um to write her a postcard sort of confessing his 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 love and yeah and and uh it never it it never got uh uh, replied to but we we still to this day um uh rib him about uh how that must have been received um so yeah yeah, he would have um, definitely re- re- asked for that to be burnt. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything for me. I mean, my life's an open book. Um, spotless, I've, spotless yeah, history. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm a bit lucky in this. I admit, I've never made a mistake in anything, so you know, that's fine. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything, but I like your examples. Okay, um, all right, we'll stop there. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Rag, Nick Hare, and Peter Cockhill of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye.